Hello, and welcome to Sim Radio here on the Sisters in Music Network. It's Monday Music Madness, and you're tuned into Mixing It with Nikki Chris. This is Nikki, and in case you don't know anything about me, I'm a singer-songwriter from Raleigh, North Carolina. My show celebrates women in the music and entertainment industry, providing an avenue for them to showcase their talent. Our motto, Sisters in Music, Together We Are Stronger. My guest today is a multi-award winning virtuoso pianist, recording artist, educator, a Steinway artist, and a Juilliard graduate, where she taught piano as a teaching fellow. Described by fanfare as a tigress of the keyboard, gosh, I love that a bold, daring pianist in the tradition of the Golden Age Romantics and praised by American record guys for magnificent shading and superior musicianship. She is performing internationally and collaborating with renowned musicians and members of major orchestras. Her recordings and live concerts are broadcast on major stations worldwide, she is a NARA's voting member, program chair of Music Educators Association of New Jersey, and is the director of classical music series at the Wachung yeah. Artist Center. Please join me in welcoming the wonderful and absolutely beautiful and my friend, Sophia Agronovich. Sophia I am so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much, Nikki. I am thrilled to be on your show, and I am honored for your invitation, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am as well, and I'm going to kick things off with a question of, obviously, our listeners can hear that you are not originally from the United States. Where are you from and when did you come to the U.S.? I am originally from Soviet Union, from Ukraine. Uh, Soviet Union, it was at the time of my childhood and then it became separated from um, Russia and Ukraine. And um, I came here when I was 15 years old with my family. Um, and settled in uh, in New York's uh, area. Wonderful. I love that. I love that background, and I love that type of migrating to the U.S. story because it aids in, I think, opportunities and inspiration for for music, for art, and I'm excited to hear that you're from that area. It's actually been one of the areas that I studied in school, so I think it's really cool that that's where you're from. Oh, really? What where did you study? Who, yes. I, well, so I am a history major, so uh, ancient history is actually one of my fortes and was always wow. very much inspired by that area of the world, so it's quite it's quite. Uh, Inspiring to me that that's where you're from. Oh, really? Then you would probably, maybe it's not part of the show, but you would really love that 
town, that city that I came from, it's Chernovitz. It's, it has very, very rich history. It's in the Western Ukraine, and it had influence uh, of um, Germany, Hungary, Poland. It's not like uh, it's a Ukrainian city, but it was uh, under Austro-Hungarian rule and then under Romanian rule. And the architecture is absolutely beautiful. It's, they call Vienna in miniature or, uh, or Paris in miniature. It's it's outstanding. So you probably would enjoy traveling there. <laughs> oh well, I'm definitely going to have to take a trip there. That sounds like it would be absolutely magnificent. I will add it to my bucket list. <laughs> what and who inspired you to become a musician? It came kind of naturally because. Um, uh, my parents had uh, a lot of uh, recordings, a lot, big record collection, and they constantly played it. And also, I, I was exposed listening to the radio. Um, and my mom was very musical. She was singing all these opera arias. She she was just had natural talent for uh, music, and her voice was magnificent. Although she never studied voice, she studied piano a little bit. And um, my parents took me a lot to ballet, theater, because Chernovitz had like very rich cultural life. So basically, from childhood, it was. Um, so natural, I thought everybody is supposed to do it, and everybody was playing instruments. <laughs> and my mom was actually my first music teacher. She started showing me how to press the keys, but I was too little, and I was just playing around. So music was always part of my life. And then I started taking formal piano lessons. And that's how it all started. I never intended there to be a professional musician. It, it just came so easily. Like I didn't, I never practiced much. I I shouldn't say it probably, but I didn't. <laughs> and uh, right, it's uh, it, it's not that it's never enough because it is never enough. I mean, relative relatively. Like I know when I'm teaching my students that oh, I, I didn't practice. I I <laughs> I didn't practice what I preach now. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I started playing in concert. Everybody thought I'm talented and it's outstanding. And I was just like, I never had the pressure of practicing or performing. It just, uh, I just enjoyed the music a lot. That's all. Yeah, but that's, that's how individuals, you know, fall in love with things. And I know that you have the, the Juilliard background. You know, you're now a teacher. And I think that not having that pressure early on gave you an opportunity to really enjoy playing and really enjoy doing what you to do. So I think that's actually very, yeah, yeah. Rather than being forced into, you know, you have to practice six hours a day. I think it's, it's, I know. it's and it's a different perspective. It, exactly. And my father always, because I I loved a lot of other stuff, you know, like art, science, you know. I loved to draw and paint. And my father was a dentist, and he wanted me to become a doctor because I really loved medicine. So I never took music 100% seriously as a profession. But, you know, I won competition when I was little, and I was playing all over the place and on TV and... Um, so my, my music teacher uh, said, you have to be a musician. I said, yeah, but I'm too, you know, I didn't decide yet what I want to do. Said, and then when she found out that I'm going uh, to America, she said, you have to enter Juilliard. You have to go to Juilliard. And I thought, oh, yeah, sure, I will go to Juilliard. 
Um, but, you know, I said, okay, you know, I'll try, but it, it wasn't real on my mind. I also took lessons there with a great professor from Lviv, and um, he, he and, and my teacher both studied together with Vladimir, famous Vladimir Horowitz. And they both said that I must be a musician. And my teacher said, when you go to America, find Horowitz and say hello from me. And I, I said, okay, you know, I just was being polite, you know, I agreed to this, but I just wanted to see America. I didn't really took anything seriously. But when we came to America, uh, we rented a piano, we didn't have money, you know, to buy anything. Started practicing a little. And my father said, why don't you try to audition for Juilliard? I said, yeah, but, you know, you know, we were in immigration for four months. We waited for a visa in Paris. I practiced there a little bit in a conservatory. Actually, in conservatory, I gave a concert. They wanted to take me in. But I said, you know, we're going to America. So to make the long story short, I auditioned for Juilliard with the same program that I did in Chernovitz Music School, which I graduated there. And I got in. And um, the teacher who accepted me was the uh, head of piano department, famous Sasha Gorodnitsky. And he, had, he was the best professor at the time. All his students were like great musicians winning all kinds of important competitions. And right now, his legacy is enormous. I still meet a lot of his students who are now famous musicians. And, um, you know, she took me in and I thought it's an accident because I really didn't practice much. And, you know, but then I saw how important it is to practice and how serious everyone says, oh, you know what, I better start taking everything more seriously. And I did very, very well. But then, like on the third year of Juilliard, I got restless because you know, it's very hard. You know, to do something good, you have to be very focused and dedicated. You know that. Mm-hmm. But being a musician yourself, you understand that, uh, you know, one day without practice, two, and you lose a lot of stuff. So you have to constantly, constantly be like a slave to to your art. But it's it's very rewarding. It's in your. Uh, they say whoever is. Um, the best master is the best slave. They talk about Liszt, you know, the great uh, composer Liszt, because he was a very famous arranger of other composers' music. So, and he was master of his own and slave to the uh, true scores and true feeling of other composers. But I'm deviating here a little bit. So anyway, I felt that, um, you know, there is so much more to life. And I loved reading, and I loved to go to museums, and I loved sports, and I started, you know, philosophy, God knows what. And I said, okay, uh, I look, uh, maybe, and and programming started being very prominent at the time, you know, computer programming. Uh, Right, right. And I said, oh, maybe I should take a course online. You know, this is so interesting, but I said, there is no time. So I actually went, um, I, I went to the human resources, and I said, I want to quit because I just want to experience life. And she said, um, the woman, you know, one more year, you'll get your bachelor's, and then you can get the master's. You know, why don't you just graduate first? And I said, oh, that's a good idea. So I graduated. I got then my master's, and that's uh, and then I uh, entered Columbia because Juilliard and Columbia uh, had this program, you have to pass exams, of course. And I started my PhD, you know, because um, I wanted, you know, this was actually my profession now at that 
point, no deviation. And, you know, I got married, I got, you know, I was expecting my first child, and I was just, like, so overwhelmed, because, and I had to, um, you know, I stopped, and at the same time, I started taking my programming, which I was so curious about, earn money. I had to support the family, you know? Well, yeah, being realistic, right? And And that's the biggest thing that I hear, and I'm... Jealous of the, the Juilliard attendance. Um, I actually auditioned and was planning on going there as well, but then uh, took a different path. So I didn't didn't pursue that. Um, so I'm a little bit jealous of the attendance there, but I I do know how strict they are, and that was that was one of the reasons why I I didn't go. Um, besides some other things, but one of the biggest things yeah. for me was I'm really bad, and I'm even bad to this day about practicing, about, you know, focusing, about keeping things up. And I also didn't want to – I didn't want to be pigeonholed in a specific genre or a specific vocal space. I was much more interesting able to explore various types of, you know, vocal capabilities and things like that. And I had a feeling that I was going to be very, very pigeonholed and pushed into more classical, operatic yeah. type of performance, right? Because that's, exactly. yeah, that's generally what they tend to focus on. And that just wasn't my thing. I just, oh, wow. like, you know, yeah. I want to be a rock star. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. And also, uh, you know, my my Garadnitsky, he wanted to send me to all these important competitions, you know, Queen Elizabeth, Tchaikovsky, because I was ready. And my parents didn't have much, because you have to pay for everything. And I had another family problem, which I'm not going to discuss here, but we just, like, we didn't have money. And they said, oh, you have to get a manager. And I was so shy. You know, I'm still hiding from people, believe it or not. I just learned how to talk, <laughs> how to be extroverted, and I become extroverted on stage. But I said, you know, I can't play. First of all, I'm not good enough. I always think I'm not good enough because there is always room for improvement, which is true. And he said, but go, go. You have possibility. If I'm sending you, you go. And my parents said, you know what? For we're very, very old-fashioned, my parents. Uh, for a girl, it's not good. You know, you have to build a family. You have to have kids. Um, you know, you'll be traveling alone in Europe at your age. And I was extremely naive at the time. You know, they couldn't let me go. And we have they have to work hard. They didn't have possibility to go with me. And they just said, you can't, uh, you know, physically I could not do it. So I said, the best you can do is to be a teacher. And, you know, I enjoyed teaching, actually, because, you know, I get, you know, a total, uh, a Juilliard, you know, but it was very serious adult students, you know. And I, I had a couple of private students, but not many. Um, and the best way for me was to get, you know, like PhD and settle somewhere, you know, teaching in college because they actually had an opening in, and, you know, they wanted to welcome me to, to start teaching in Indiana University. My teacher, Nadia Eisenberg, told me there is an opening and, you know, there, uh, you can go. My friends, you're not going alone to Indiana. And it, it, it was all at the same time when I got married and I was already expecting a baby. So my, I said, you know what, I always wanted to be a programmer. Um, there is no 
place for me. I can't be, I can't possibly compete great musicians because I didn't pursue it seriously and I didn't have resources to go while I was in Juilliard. I mean, competition was fierce there, unbelievable. And besides, I didn't want to do it. I would go programming, I would earn a lot of money and I would learn what, you know, what I always wanted to learn anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I never thought about, I was never like a career woman. So I started and I said, okay, I'll do programming for a year or two until my daughter grows up a little bit. And then I'll go back maybe to music because I still love to play. I practice every single day. So, and then one thing led to another. And um, I spent 23 years in programming and, you know, was promoted all over the place, became vice president in another company. And I loved it. I loved technology, constantly learning new languages, new platforms. I loved management. Uh, I mean, I knew how to deal with people, you know, like in a polite way and, you know, never get into arguments and just do my job. So I had a right, but I practiced every single day because I told when I, I wrote to my teachers in in Russia in Ukraine I, um, to my teacher and I told Sasha Gorodnitsky that I have to to be a programmer because you know my husband didn't make much and he said okay but you have to practice every day you have to do it because you never know what will happen and that was a great advice. Um, because even if I did 10, 20 minutes a day after work, after all these phone calls in, you know, production problems in the middle of the night, it was very, very stressful to work there. I worked for Mary Lynch, which is brokerage company, you know, it's very Oh intense. my, oh my. Yeah, 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 you know, like in the middle of the night, they call you like from London, uh, I remember the guy, John, and you have to fix the problems. I have to call all the programmers and then I'll have, a, you know, then I have, but I have to know what I have to, to have analytical. So I was constantly like sitting on computer and I got so used to it. I still wake up sometimes at two o'clock. <laughs> anyway, oh, no. um, but I practiced, yeah, I, I practiced every day. And, um, it's, yeah, but it paid off because they offered a, a retirement package because Mary Lynch was um, connect, um, combining with Bank of America and we didn't know it. Suddenly they offered all people who, who spend a lot of time there, a lot of years, they offered these beautiful Cadillac packages, you know, just retirement. I said, I'm not ready to retire. There, there would be no uh, med medical insurance, nothing. And at the same time, my mother could, uh, they, they, they made doctors make a mistake. She didn't have to. I don't want to get into details. So they screwed up. She didn't have to have operation, and they insisted, and I fought with them. It never happened. Oh, no. So she was in a very bad condition in the hospital. So I said, you know what's important in life? You know, it's people. It's helping people. It's it's life itself. It's not uh, Mary Lynch or or being a, the best musician in the world or anything. So I always liked medicine. So I started learning like very seriously naturopathy you know like indian chinese medicine nutrition and i took courses and i got certifications while i was applying for this package because i said that's it you know i'm leaving mary lynch because there is more in life than that to life than that um so i got my package and i started teaching yoga and pilates they hired me 
and I always played classical music. I found these very, very nice pieces, and everybody loved my class. And they didn't know why. They brought their husbands, their wives, you know, everybody came to my class. Say, oh, why it's so rewarding? I said, I didn't tell them. I said, oh, it's, um, you know, it's just the atmosphere I create with my special music selection. <laughs> I played Chopin. <laughs> I played in the Beethoven. But, you know, second movements, very slow, introspective, philosophical, and they just loved it. Anyway, and I started giving music lessons uh, because, you know, I have to earn some money, right? Um, and I right, applied right. to college, to four-year college, to become um you know, like holistic healer. I mean, it was um, approved. Those credits were approved. CU credits for nurses and everything. And I have a, co- a third cousin. He's uh, Leonid Levin. He's a famous mathematician in Boston University. He discovered some kind of formula. Too. So he said, Sophia, you, you have all this credentials from Juliet. Why have to spend four years, spend a lot of money, and then you have, um, because insurance doesn't pay for this holistic stuff. Why don't you just become a musician? I said, forget about it. You know, I didn't, I, you know, I never thought, I never built a career. I said, look at your resume, musical resume. You, it's, it's already there. So I said, well, he's smart. <laughs> so, um, and pract- more practical than me, you know, mathemati- um, and, you know, I, I trusted his mathematical judgment. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, you know, everybody could see it except me. Um, and I started you know, giving, and my students became so good, and I started learning, uh, winning competitions, and I started giving locally concerts, you know, in library here and there. And everybody, like, came, whoever came to my concert, they thought that, they didn't know, I hid that I was a programmer. I just started putting it on my resume last month. I never told anyone, because I, I actually got a manager, he told me, don't do this, because they would think, wouldn't think you're serious. So I, I started performing all over the place as if nothing happened, as if I was never a programmer. And it's a miracle, I'm telling you. This is, like, unbelievable. I'm so grateful I have that. It's, um, it's you know, it's like a God's given. And I discovered that all my yoga and Pilates and everything, but I teach, when I teach my students, I know how the posture could be, how to relax, how to breathe, you know, there is also Alexander, a lot of different techniques, but everything is based on the same concept. So I simplify it even for the little kids. Yeah, yeah, everything is the same, as we know, energy is the same. Um, and that's why I enjoy teaching because, um, you know, every, I see individual in everyone and I communicate with them as with my friends. It's not, it's not even all about music. It's about like life and vibes and expression. And that's what I love about it. Otherwise it can be very boring and technical, you know, just giving piano lessons, how to press the keys, you know, can be very boring. And, um, you know, so that's basically, I, incorporate whatever I learned into what I'm doing now. And I think programming, you know, I developed, um, I have photographic memory, you know, or I developed it while I was, because I had to remember all this, you know, computer stuff and remember which program, which hundreds of programs, what was there, when, how to fix everything. So it helps me a lot right now. I think, uh, you know, I'm much better organized. It helps me a lot to learning new repertoire, learning all these pieces, all these huge pieces by memory all the time, playing, performing everything by memory every year, almost 
90% new pieces, which is very, very hard, especially as you get older. Oh, so, yes, it is. Yeah. So basically very everything... Yeah, so everything was unplanned, but it kind of, you know, found its place. And uh, I'm just very, very happy right now that we have to be grateful for what we have. Because there is always something better, always can, because I'm, a lot of times I'm very dissatisfied with myself, with what I did in life, you know, a lot of mistakes. It can be worse, you know, it could be worse. I should be grateful for. What? Yeah. So the only way for me is just to organize and just keep working hard. Don't lose time because time goes so fast. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Time Yesterday does. I looked, it does. It yeah. Does. Time goes very, 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 very fast. And I think you are where you are at your point in life where you're supposed to be. And I think that everything that you have been through and, you know, coming to the United States when you were a teenager, going to Juilliard when you did, even becoming a programmer and then changing gears and getting into more holistic medicine, yoga, Pilates. I'm a huge yoga fan. I do yoga as well. And I think that all of those things actually aid in the development of you as a musician and you're where you're supposed to be. Sure. And you know what? All this, yeah. And my technique got so much better because uh, playing piano is very athletic, especially all these hard pieces like Virtuoso by Liszt. Um, You know, when you have a lot of chords and a lot of jumping constantly between Mm -hmm. octaves, you know, for many hours when you have to perform the full program, uh, it's very tiring for the muscles, even for men. Like some of the pieces I see, like uh, like I'm playing this Mazeppa at Belize, not many people perform, especially women. And I think all this yoga and Pilates and all these exercises that they did helped me a lot with technique. So maybe without I that, I would never yep. be able to play as well, you know? And mm-hmm. maybe if I wouldn't yep. be a programmer and develop a logical mind, I wouldn't be able to learn by memory all these scores. So everything has its purpose, and um, that's, yes. that's what I teach, teach my, you know, kids and, um, you know, my students, because, uh, you know, they, a lot of them, everybody has problems, so my, some, some of my students confide in me, so I'm able to help in that, and I, I enjoy doing this. Um, so at this point in my life, it's just like I have too many projects, my problem. <laughs> And sometimes it's so many, like nothing, you know, you start like 10 projects in a day, nothing gets accomplished, and it's like 1 o'clock at night, you say, oh my God, another day passed, nothing is, it's probably Organization and prioritization is key, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're going to play one of your songs, uh, one of the songs that you, um, one of the compositions that you brought with you to share is the Chopin Scherzo number two in B-flat minor. Uh, give us a little bit about uh, what that particular piece is about, and then we will play it for everyone. This is part of my CD that I released last year, which has four, a complete four scherzi and funeral march sonata, famous funeral march sonata, which has also four movements, and grand polonaise, the heroic polonaise. So I chose scherzo number two. It's very popular. Actually, in times of Chopin, uh, everybody played it. 
And sometimes when the piece is popular, you forget how actually beautiful it is. Um, scherzo in Italian means joke, <laughs> but Chopin's scherzos are very far from joke. And scherzos like in Beethoven and other composers, it's, it's just a very, very moody piece. Sometimes it's even sarcastic. And in Chopin's scherzos, it's very, very deep and meditative also. And B-flat minor scherzo, in the beginning, it's very spooky. Like Chopin said, um, it should be a house of the dead in the beginning. It's really, really, um, you know, even uh, bewildering. And then the, there are like very, very beautiful pieces of melodies. Like you have a melody and then there is a rest. You don't know what's coming next. Then something contrasting comes over, completely different mood. So it, it, it's very wild in its concept. And then there is a beautiful, beautiful waltz-like episode in the middle, like very melancholy, like Chopin remembers something because he always was, uh, he lived in Paris and he was uh, missing Poland so much. Like it reminds him of his childhood and youth and he could never get there. And then suddenly it becomes more wild, wild and passionate and then it like bursts again. So it's, it's a lot of emotional and outbursts and a lot of thinking and feeling, uh, other feelings in the scare. But it finishes very happy, very bravura. So that's why I chose, because it has a lot of variety of emotions. It's very virtuosic. And uh, I think everybody who would listen, they would love that piece as much as I do. Yes, and I absolutely love it. I'm actually a huge fan of Chopin, so I'm very excited to share this with everyone. So we are going to play this again. This is Scherzo number two in B-flat. And our lovely pianist is Sofia Agramovich. Here it is.
as I mentioned, absolutely beautiful. And I love the way that you described all the different aspects of that composition. And of course, you performed it absolutely brilliantly. I, I find I'm, I'm struggling where you, you sit there and you say you don't think you're good enough because I know a lot we're our own self-critics and a lot of times I you know, say the same things about myself. Oh, I'm not good enough to do that or oh, I need to practice more because I need to be better. But you are absolutely yeah. a brilliant pianist. You really, really are. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's a brilliant I don't think piece. you give yourself as much credit as you deserve. Oh, you know, you know, I, I, I do think uh, good with the uh, bad, but you know, thank you very much. It's a brilliant piece. It's a beautiful piece, and I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm, I'm, I even love the other one that you brought with you more as well. Um, but we'll get to that one in just a moment. In the meantime, I would like to go back to your early years a little bit and talk about. Some of the artistic influences or experiences in your child and your formative years, because you do bring the unique perspective and the unique um, aspect of you're from the Ukraine. You had to spend four months uh, in, uh, you know, an immigration hold, it sounds like, in Paris, which is one of, you know, the most, I guess, well, I guess you could say artistic influenced romantic areas of the world and then also United States. So you you have multiple different geographical influences. So I'm curious as to who your or what, you know, artistic influences. Where do you pull from? Oh there are so many uh I I started reading very young. My mother was an English teacher, and uh, she was a linguist. She knew a lot of languages. So she she showed me alphabet, and she had all these books, you know, world literature in, in the house. And I started, like, when I was little, I started reading all this adult, you know, like Victor Hugo. I couldn't understand anything. But the language fascinated me, and the description, some description. So that was my first influence, the books, and then, of course, the music. And our town was absolutely beautiful. Also, I loved architecture, and I loved drawing. And, you know, I was always drawing. Like, every day, right after breakfast, before I started school, I was sitting down, and I was drawing, like, for a couple of hours. I I really loved art. So that was basically my... And I loved ballet. Believe it or not, I always wanted to be a ballet dancer. Uh, My parents took me... There was Bolshoi Ballet. You know, from um, from Moscow, they came uh, to our because in our town they were the best performers. We had a beautiful, beautiful Philharmonic Hall, and we have all the great musicians: uh, Gilil, Richter, all the Russian Flier, Bela Davidovich came there, and they had this Bolshoi um, Ballet. I was, I think, they took me. I was only four years old. I was mesmer. I couldn't believe it. I remember we were a little bit late, so I was standing by my seat, and my parents told me, you have to sit down, and I couldn't sit, I couldn't move. I was just, I loved the movement, the whole experience was also, and so I said, okay, I want to be a ballet dancer, so that was my, but I was a little bit, I, I you know, I wasn't too skinny, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> it, it was a style 
Yeah, it was a style. My mother always gave me a lot of food because, you know, the the child has to be a little plump, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I and they wanted me to become, you know, to play piano because, you know, what what kind of life to be a ballet dancer even worse, worse than musician, right, for a girl. But I always, always had the dream. And then later, you know, um, you know, I danced in school, you know, a little bit. And, uh, you know, I became very flexible and I was very good at gymnastics, you know, very, very supple. And, you know, but I always, even now, when I see, you know, I love opera. You know, I've watched a lot of operas, heard a lot of But when I see ballet, something inside me is like telling me that that's me on a stage, you know, from my previous life or something. That That's who I am, you know. It's unbelievable. So that was a big influence. And then when in Paris we waited for our visa um, for months, I, I went with my mom to Louvre. Almost every day, because in in Louvre, you know, you, in any great museum in the world, it's it's even mad, mad museum everywhere. Um, you can you can just live there, like spend all your life there, <laughs> watching each painting. Oh yeah. Forever. So oh my God, I I just love this. And then we went to Notre Dame to listen to organ music really? every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so Paris was, and Paris was looked, you know, it was unbelievable. When we came to Paris, I thought it's my town because it was the same architecture, the same flavor. It just was broader, bigger, and many more streets. So it was like my native. I said, I was here before. I know everything. It was unbelievable how much at home I felt there. I just, I fell in oh, love with Oh, that's magnificent. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, uh, you go and all this, uh, you know, you feel all this sweets coming in the morning. You see all this <laughs> aroma, aroma from, oh, my, it was so romantic, so refined, you know, that the whole, I just loved it. Um, I, I love Europe in general, you know, like every, I love Mediterranean, I, I love Italy. Yeah, all this architecture, it, it's because it's part of us. It's, you know, I just feel so close to this. But I, I love almost every country. I, I didn't travel to, to a, a lot of other countries, but I feel somehow affinity with every single culture, as if it's so much, it's not only part of me um, intellectually, I feel emotionally attached, like even to music or art from other, completely other cultures. I feel that it's part of me so much. I don't know, it's very strange. I mean, it's it's probably not not very very strange intellectually, but I really feel emotionally attached to art in any shape or form. Of course, if it's a good art, wow. superficial, or done just to show off, like some I don't want to, you know, some artists, modern uh, musicians or modern, mod, I mean, a lot of good modern composers, of course, but some of them just right, throw right. dissonances just to show that there are different, it doesn't have any meaning or, 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 or you know, you go to, you know, modern museum and there's a splash of color. Sometimes splash of color expresses them, but sometimes when it's done on purpose of splashing the colors, you know, I just can't relate to that. It's not an art to me. I, I Anyway. Yeah, no. I totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. I have the same type of challenge or struggle, if you will, even from, you know, like writing a song. So, you know, composing in my composing and, and songwriting, very similar, right? Constructing a musical piece, but I do the same type of critiquing 
even today when I listen to certain things and I get very, very annoyed, especially if I'm listening to something, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it's got a great beat, it's got a great melody, but, you know, who came up with the lyrics? You know, I mean, it's like you're just throwing words that don't even mean anything just to create something that, you know, it really doesn't have any substance. So I have the same philosophy, and I love it. You're just like, ah, I just threw in a dissonant note there just for the heck of it. Yeah, I sometimes they do mean a lot. You know, it depends. Well, like for yeah, uh, you know, I just want to mention. Yeah, because sometimes it's it's very weird. Like sometimes there is, um, you know, once I was at the jazz because I'm not into jazz or anything. But you know, I tend that now I am into all the um, genres in music because, you know, I went first time and I hear all this different. and I thought I would hate it, but I was so fascinated by it. Something was some um, um, some magic was there. You, you know, like in art, it's very hard to determine what's it. But sometimes when it's a genius, you just know it. Like in math, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a formula. You know, for it's either this or this. In art, it's it's uh, it's a magic. You know, you can't describe it. So, you know, it doesn't. Uh, I don't care if it's modern music or if it's. Uh, you know, new age, classical, or jazz, or even rock, or anything. If if it has magic in it, and of course it's a matter of taste. But um, a lot of people, when something somebody is a genius or uh, something is very good, a lot of people agree on the same thing. So for me, it doesn't yeah. matter which genre. But uh, you know, I'm just like sometimes this art gets so artificially commerci- commercialized and. You know, sometimes I'm afraid that art is almost dying because of people's, they don't, they're not exposed to real art anymore. Um, like, for example, Correct. like young kids, you know, they listen to some junk. You know, when I, when I practice, sometimes windows open, I see like everybody, like kids, they stop playing, they listen, and I'm playing some, you know, stupid like, little piece. But they, they never have been exposed to nice music, so they, they're just fascinated with the whole idea. So, you know, probably our purpose now is just, like, to keep art, good art alive, you know, just just by doing it. it and you know, yeah, Because there is so much artificial stuff goes on right now. It's unbelievable. Yes. 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 Definitely, definitely. And what's actually really interesting, and we're gonna we're gonna get to your your second song in just a, a, a second here because I want to make sure that we have time to play it. What's really really interesting is that uh, my oldest son took a uh, music class in you know the community college, and I knew what type of class it was where it was it was more the teaching and learning about. Mozart, Chopin, Beethoven, you know, Tchaikovsky, all of the formidable, you know, lists. I actually do believe that list was there. Um, formidable, you know, composers um, that a lot of people aren't exposed to. And it was very, very interesting to have him, you know, take that class. And then he was like, oh, you know, he's very much interested in, in doing music production. So very different from what 
you know, Beethoven and, and Chopin and the composers would done. But he, it was very interesting to listen to him say, oh, I, you know, I really like this. I really like the way that, you know, the orchestra comes in here or, and, and learn all about the theory behind a lot of these pieces. And now when he talks about music production and having an interest in that, he actually is saying, well, you know, I'd really like to incorporate some of the things that I learned in this class about some of these composers and the way that they wrote their compositions into potentially the music and the songs and things like that that I may create. So I actually thought it was very interesting that he found, you know, things that he could take from the past and potentially then convert it into something that he could create today. So it's, it's really this is great. correct because, yes, well, yeah, absolutely. And But you, you are absolutely correct. Most students today are not exposed to some of these composers. I used to work for MetLife. My first job was in programming for MetLife. And the reason why I got it, because I had a student who, who was a programmer there, and he said he practices there are two Steinway grand pianos in each building. <laughs> in each there is a huge hole. <laughs> I said, oh, I'll get a job. You know, so, and at the same time, I can practice during lunch. And I, I, I got the job. I actually passed the interview and everything. Uh, that was my first job. So I, I was playing uh, sometimes concerts at my life for, you know, for workers and official concerts. Um, so I was playing the Scrabble method. You know, I was warming up, you know, during lunch. And one guy uh, who was a programmer, you know, he loved, like, rock and rap and all kinds of stuff. He was just passing by. Saying, oh, here's the, here's the piano. So he was listening. He said, okay, let me, I'm just, pra- I'm just warming up. So I'm playing the Scrabble method. You should see his face when I finish. It's like two-minute piece, very nice, etude in D sharp minor. He goes, oh, he he just kept talking like he was in trance. He was like screaming. He said, oh, I can't believe what are you doing? What kind of music? Is it? I have to learn more about it. He was like in shock. So that was. The, probably one of the biggest compliments I ever got. It's not about my playing, it's just the music. And then I thought, if you can, all the kids, you know, all the people who who don't know, they could get exposed. It could influence their behavior, their thinking, mm-hmm. like social stuff, everything. So, um, yeah, it's too bad that we have a lot of junk going on on the radio right now. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. too bad. I agree, I agree, I agree. 110%. So with that, let's get to one of my favorite, favorite, favorite composers of all time. I'm a huge Beethoven fan. And you brought the Beethoven Sonata Tempest, the third movement. And tell us real quick what that's about. And then we will put that on for everyone. I believe this is on another one of your CDs as well. Yes, it's one of, of my c- recent CDs. Actually, it's my last CD, uh, celebrating 250th anniversary of birth of Beethoven. And this is one of the tracks. So Tempest Sonata, uh, I don't have to tell about Beethoven. A lot of people know. Um, Tempest Sonata was uh, after Shakespearean play Tempest. 
And they don't know if Beethoven did it, if his biographer Schindler attributed it, it um, that Beethoven wrote it after Tempest. But it it was very uh, mysterious, it, it, mysterious beginning. It, it was like breakthrough regular sonata forms. It, it's his middle period towards his later period of composition by, you know, Beethoven's. So he, he implies even in the first moment recitativo from Italian word. You know, when in opera they sing, 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 and then they start dramatically mm-hmm. talking. So he has that part in the first movement. So it, because he wanted, um, you know, whatever is in a play, he, he wanted to show. So it's all about expression. Technique and everything is subdued to expression. It's not virtuosity for virtuosity's sake. Um, and it's very philosophical and deep. Um, and there are three movements in, in this sonata. Second movement is very beautiful. And third movement is my favorite. One of my, fa- I have a lot of favorite pieces, but I, I play it a lot as an encore. I can play it in my sleep, basically, because, you know, I learned it when I was pretty young. And it's a perpetual mobile, which means constant movement. It's never stopped. It's very unsettling, very romantic, like some looking for something dear that is lost or uh, looking for meaning of life. And it has, of course, the Sturm und Drang, which I call in, in German, like which was the essence of romantic movement, which means very stormy um, passion. And it ends very, un- very interesting because in, amidst all this thunder and lightning, at the end, there is a, like, it comes down and there is a melancholy D minor arpeggio going down. And it fades away on a single note in the bass on the D. And it just dissolves. Like, you know, the life dissolved and it, everything went, belongs to the universe. It's, maybe it's just, um, you know, I'm reading too much into it, but that's how music appeals, should appeal. That's why I love it, because it has all kinds of movement, but it has this unbelievable magic that I was talking about before, that you can't even describe, you're just mesmerized by the whole thing. It's, of course, it's very difficult technically, but you, you forget about technique, you're just like flying somewhere. So, um, yeah, I hope you would like it. <laughs> I was not familiar with this before you sent it over, so I absolutely love it, and I am going to pop it on now for everyone. So this is Beethoven's, who needs no introduction, Tempest Sonata, Third Movement, played by our guest, Sophia Agronovich. Here it is.
love that, again, like I mentioned, it was not a piece of his that I was actually that familiar with. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure everyone that's listening thoroughly enjoyed it. It is an impeccable performance because one of the things that I did is after I listened to it, when you sent it to me, I actually went out and did some YouTube searching. So um, get some ideas, you know, other performances and things like that. And it's an impeccable, impeccable performance of that piece. Oh, thank you so much. So ex- You're welcome so much. So with that, uh, before we sign off, anything else you would like to share with our listeners? Where can they find you on social media or what's your website where people can find out maybe where you're playing, learn more about you? You can just Google search on my name and everything comes up sometimes in different order, <laughs> depending on the search engine. <laughs> but I, I'm, a, you know, everywhere, like Facebook, which I actually don't go too often, so, you know, but I'm on Facebook, uh, one professional page, one regular, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and some other sites, which I don't use too often. Um, and, of course, I have a website, and that's basically it. you. Everybody welcome contact me directly or via email which is on my website or you know via social media wherever you see me and uh, I am very very happy to be on your show Nikki thank you so much and you know it was a pleasure conversing with you <laughs> and I actually learned a yes. lot about you too which it, it's it's amazing yeah this is I, I'm glad we yes, talked it is. and we should keep in touch I know, more I <laughs> We should, definitely. We should, definitely. And with that, Sophia, thank you so, so much for being on my show today and taking the time to chat with me and our listeners. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to know more about you and getting to play your music. And to all the listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in to Mixnet. On behalf of everyone at Sim Radio, this is Nikki Christ. Until next time, keep on mixing it. Mm-hmm.